Hello and welcome. You are listening to Intertech's Assurance in Action podcast, the podcast of your total quality assurance provider. My name is Seth Martin Wick. I am the America's Marketing Coordinator for Intertech Business Assurance Group. And before we begin, I'd like to mention a couple things. Uh, since recording this podcast, Robin Bishop, our guest, has gone on to work for Impacts Limited. Impact, with two T's, is an ethical trade consultancy with the goal of improving workers' livelihoods in a way to benefit businesses and workers. For more information on Impact, feel free to go to impactlimited.com. Our second order of business, uh, this episode is sponsored by the Ethical Sourcing Forum, taking place June 21st in Bentonville, Arkansas. Intertech welcomes industry experts from Infori, RAP, in SEDEX Global to discuss recent trends and changes in the social compliance industry. For more information and to register to attend, please visit ethicalsourcingforum.com. Assurance in Action listeners can use the code PODCAST for a special discounted rate. And without further ado, the episode will begin. Today, I'm sitting down with Robin Bishop. Robin is the Director of Supplier Management for Intertech Business Assurance. Today, our topic that we'll be discussing is modern slavery. Robin, do you want to uh, talk about yourself for a little bit? Thanks, Seth, and thank you very much for offering me the opportunity and the time to speak to you today about what is essentially a very critical issue for us as business professionals, but also I think for us as consumers, which I'm going to talk a little bit about later in the in the program. I have been with Intertech for the last eight months and work to help companies gain a better sense of what is happening within their supply chains. But previous to my work at Intertech, I was involved with an organization in Hong Kong known as the Mekong Club, which focused specifically on addressing modern slavery through business. So it's a subject that is, is very dear to my heart and something I feel very passionately about. So again, I want to thank you for the opportunity today to have this chat. Great. Thank you. So I think that we should get started in kind of defining what modern slavery is. So modern slavery, it's kind of an oxymoron when it comes down to it. At least you would think so. A practice that's been assumed dead for hundreds of years between you know, human trafficking and forced labor. How could something like this actually exist right now? What is modern yeah, slavery today? That's a really, a really good point uh, in terms of, aren't, aren't we done with this? Didn't we, well, didn't we tackle this many, many years ago? But the reality is there are now more slaves than in any other time in our history. And according to recent reports, 45.8 million victims of, of modern slavery. From my perspective, when we at Intertech or with other organizations working in this space share that statistic with people, it often results in shock. Because exactly as you said, Seth, slavery is something that most people believe is a phenomenon that belongs in the past and does no longer exist in modern times. And so we obviously we think about slavery and we think of people in chains transported from one continent to another, sold like commodities and subjected to life or death decisions of their masters. So really horrifying stories that have come, as we all most people believed, to a definitive end, thanks to the past abolitionist movements. 
But as I said, there are more slaves today than any other time in history. So I want to repeat that number again, 45.8 million women, men, and children enslaved and living lives of misery. And this statistic always really just astounds me. There are more slaves than there are Canadians. So I'm a Canadian and it's hard to believe that, you know, the population of my country is actually less than the number of people who are being exploited in this horrific way. Most often these victims of slavery um, can be found in factories, construction sites, within fisheries, sex venues, and are forced to work for little or no pay, deprived of their freedom and often subjected to unimaginable suffering. And so I really believe that this crime represents one of the greatest human rights violations of our times. But as we've been discussing, very few people know about it. And I think the reason why it can be quite confusing is because of the fact that it is often used interchangeably with other terms. So if I was to say to you the term human trafficking, I'm sure that you would say, well, yes, I've heard of that. And actually, so while in the past, there's been a lot of emphasis given to this term. So this is the means by which adult victims were tricked or transported. The focus is now really completely on the end goal of such, such action, and that is the exploitation itself. So the outcome of trafficking is indeed often degrading work under very harsh conditions with little opportunity to leave. So in other words, slavery. With these terms being interchanged, it's really a matter of when it comes down to it, terminology. Is there a specific terminology that would define modern slavery? Yes, there is. And, and there is actually, it's been around for a very long time. So the internationally accepted definition of slavery was outlined in the 1926 Slavery Convention, which states that slavery is the status or condition of a person over whom any or all of the powers attaching to the right of ownership are exercised. And so at Intertech, to be clear, we use the term modern slavery as an umbrella term to include several definitions, or as you say, this terminology of exploitative situations. And we do this to remain in line with the UK Modern Slavery Act, which I'm going to share a little bit more about. I think that listeners of the podcast today may have heard of the term modern slavery. I believe that they definitely would have heard of the term human trafficking. But I also believe that a lot of our listeners will also know of the term around forced labor. So just to kind of explain the different types or this different terminologies we've just been discussing. To take for an example, forced labor. So let's imagine, Seth, that you are working in Nepal and you've been offered a job in the Middle East to build hotels, to work in a construction site. So you've been offered a contract that guarantees your employment. So as you said, it could be in a factory or a service setting or it could be in a construction site. You, Seth, pay a fee often to this recruitment agency to help them find you, or sorry, to pay them to find you work. And the expectation is that this fee will represent an investment that will bring a much higher return over time. Your job, as we've shared, is in another country. And so you're also having to pay, Seth, a, few, a full range of expenses related to getting perhaps your passport or other, tra other travel documents like a visa. You'll have to have a flight. You may have to pay for training costs. But you believe you're investing in this in a way that is going to come back and have a higher return on investment over time in terms of the money that you will make through this role. 
So you're being promised that when you take this job from the recruiter that you will earn enough money to pay back these fees over a relatively short time. But what happens instead is you imagine you arrive in this Middle Eastern country at this new workplace only to face enslavement and conditions which are much, much less than you expected. You might have these travel documents taken away from you and you may be forced to pay an exorbitant amount for substandard housing and food. There may be a constant threat of violence to you, Seth, which prevents you from being able to leave or look for support. So you've had to pay for this job. But what happens is when you get over to this job, you're now also having to pay an, an extreme amount for your standard for your living and for your food and any other perhaps transportation to the job site. And the reality is you've had your travel documents taken away and you're scared to try and leave or to basically, you know, cause a scene about this situation. So I think that's really important because this comes back to helping to understand what exactly is modern slavery. And it is important to note that not all exploitation is considered, uh, is considered slavery. So you may be in a situation where you're being cheated out of overtime pay, paid less than is owed to you made to work excessive hours. But these situations do not constitute a modern slavery case as long as you are free to leave the situation. So I wanna clarify, we can really share that there are two basic characteristics of modern slavery. So there may be deception in the payment agreements, such as a withholding of wages, or perhaps you weren't aware when you took this job going over to the Middle East that you would have to pay such a high percentage of your paycheck into this housing standard. And it might use other forms of bondage. So another um, terminology around modern slavery is something known as bonded labor. So the first one was forced labor. Now we're talking about bonded labor. And so this may be that you've you sort of become the property of this company or this other person uh, to work as collateral against a loan that was made. So if, if we look at the example again of you working in Nepal and going to work in the Middle East in this construction site, if you had to borrow that money from perhaps a loan shark or the recruiting agency, you may never ever earn enough money to pay back that debt. So essentially you are bonded to that labor. So we go back to our, our two criteria, there's been deception in payments and agreements. And then the, the most important criteria is the restriction of movement obtained by retention of documents, violence and threat. So this is where exploitation becomes slavery. You are not able to leave or you are too frightened to leave because you could be very, very badly hurt for doing so. So I think it's Mod one of the reasons modern slavery is such a confusing um, concept is because it is such a gray area of exploitation into actual slavery. Now, we know as um, business professionals that very, 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 very few companies in the world want to have their products or services made by or delivered through slavery. But I'm sure equally our companies that we're working with at Intertech and also other business professionals who would be listening today do not want to be using exploited workers in their workforce as well. So I think it is important to just make that point that it is a very gray area. It can be very confusing, but there are two, two main criteria. So there's the deception and payment agreement and there's the restriction of movements. So the person is basically not getting paid or there are changes to the payment that they were, then what they were expecting and they're not able to leave. 
So I think that really clears it up a lot between exploited labor and forced labor, modern slavery in itself. You mentioned two general areas, Nepal being part of Asia and the Middle East in general. Now, from what I understand, a lot of people really think that this is like a not in my backyard type of thing. When it really comes down to it, are those really the only places that are being exploited in this? I I mean, it has to be more rampant. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're completely right in that that is the popular misconception. There's been a lot of research. There's a lot of work being done by organizations looking at the global slavery footprint. There is a fantastic, two fantastic resources I would recommend to listeners to check out. The first of which is the Global Slavery Index. That is a report that has been developed by an organization called the Walk Free Foundation. And the second is the Trafficking in Persons Report, which is released by the U.S. government. I believe both of these are released every year. But if I look at, for example, the global slavery footprint, the research that they have done has found that the number of modern slaves from country to country varies quite greatly. You know, some have high concentrations, some have very, very few. But the greatest percentage of those living in slavery, according to the Global Slavery Index, can be found in five key countries, India, China, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and Uzbekistan. So your point about Asia is, I mean, there is a higher concentration there. So seven out of 10 countries with the highest numbers of victims are in Asia, which results in over 30 million slaves or about 66% of these victims coming from India, China, North Korea, Bangladesh, Indonesia, and Pakistan. But exactly to your point, this is a hidden crime that affects every country in the world. It is not just an Asian issue. While it does often happen frequently in poor, unregulated countries, those nations with a high GDP and a robust rule of law are by no means immune to this plague. And I'm actually looking right now at a a newspaper article that was in a a British publication known as the Evening Standard here on the 20th of October. And they're talking about slavery, the features entitled Slavery on Our Streets, and looking at the different instances of of modern slavery or recent cases of modern slavery that have been uncovered in the United Kingdom. And if we look at eggs being produced in a place called Kent, uh, a bed factory in West Yorkshire, You know, those are just two examples of here in the UK alone, very, very recently, where there have been convictions related to modern slavery. If we want to look, for example, in the US, which is also a country that is not exempt, there have been many cases of exploitation and limitation of freedom reported in the US seafood industry. And of course, Europe itself is also not exempt. Issues in terms of agriculture, so in southern Italy, for example, the tomato picking activities have been rife with reports of modern slavery. A lot of people might ask, though, but why are there so many victims across Asia? Well, with 60% of the world's population, many of these countries have huge numbers of people. And likewise, throughout Asia, there continues to be remnants of sort of exploitative feudal systems in place that have really never been dismantled even in this modern day and age. And in some nations, the proportion of people in slavery is is really extremely high. So for example, quite a shocking statistic, in North Korea and Uzbekistan, four out of every hundred people live as slaves. That's, wow, 4%. I know, it's absolutely crazy when you kind of sit back and think about it. 
so if it's a known fact that 4% of people in North Korea and Uzbekistan live in slavery, why is this still happening? Why, why is no one doing anything about it? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think the reality is, is that there are a lot of very, very skilled people doing a lot about it. This problem has been addressed for more than a decade by the counter-trafficking community, and that includes governments around the world, the United Nations, and NGOs. But they haven't gotten very far. And one of the most important factors that is down to this has been for a very long time the lack of involvement of the private sector. Really, if we are going to move forward on tackling modern slavery in this day and age, it is only going to be possible if the private sector intervenes as a key player in this fight. It's quite simple, really. Good business understands bad business and is therefore, the private sector is therefore in the best position to address this directly. You know, because I think that a lot as well for a lot of people, when you think of human trafficking, you think of modern slavery, instantly you, you relate that crime to forced prostitution. But actually, this is mostly a problem of supply chains. So if we go back to that statistic we originally looked at, 45.8 million victims, 75% are related to forced labor situations. And 60% of that 70% have experienced exploitation within global supply chains. So to make that a little bit simple, out of the 10 modern day slaves that we might have, seven are, direct, are directly related to the private sector. So either making the products we buy or harvesting the food we eat. So I believe that there's not only a moral obligation for the private sector to start addressing modern slavery in a meaningful way, it, it has to be better for business. It cannot be good for any company or any business to have exploitation within its supply chain. So with seven out of 10 slaves being directly related to the private sector, what could this mean for business? Well, you know, this is essentially, this is a huge issue in terms of risk. Governments and regulators around the globe are really clamping down and companies are needing to show that they have done everything within their power to reduce slavery in their operations or face prosecution. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about this as the podcast continues, but legislation is now demanding it. So it is on the increase. So the California Transparency and Supply Chains Act, which was uh, released in 2012, and the UK Modern Slavery Act 20, in 2015, are really two of several important acts that have been put in place that require companies to report what they are doing to address the issue of modern slavery. And really, this legislation has been put in place to prevent modern slavery in organizations and their supply chains by essentially increasing transparency. Um, France has introduced a new law, Australia is developing one, and really the list continues. And in the future, you know, right now, it's really discussing things like disclosure and the steps that are being taken, taken by companies. But in the future, legislation that offers penalties and fines are likely to follow. I also think that reputation is, is a huge risk. It is increasingly on the radar of media and NGOs, many of whom are unafraid to thrust brands into the spotlight for failing to address this issue. Uh, and a clear sign of this is the exponential increase of articles and or special issues on modern slavery in both international and local news. So I've just mentioned about the Evening Standard in the United Kingdom. The Guardian newspaper also has a dedicated 
sort of feature supplement that happens on modern slavery. I know CNN has Slate Modern Slavery as one of their key focus areas in terms of spotlights investigation. So it's it's increasingly on the rise uh, in terms of media attention as well as there are new NGOs and organizations popping up every day with a focus on this subject. I also think brand loyalty is quite important. Important. Uh, and I, I think that consumers are becoming much more savvy when it comes to slavery and are using online resources and apps to identify if they are using products and services from companies that might be profiting from slavery. So I believe that if companies don't start to look at these risks or not to assess them and mitigate them, ultimately it could result in a series of disastrous consequences for businesses as loss of trade partners, it could result in drops in share value, uh, a loss of customers' trust. So essentially, in ignoring slavery may come with a high price. So you mentioned legislation, for example, the UK Modern Slavery Act. I know that that was enacted in 2015. How is it doing now? Is it working well with detecting that type of thing, or have you seen results? What the UK Modern Slavery Act has been brilliant at is raising awareness of this issue and getting it on the boardroom agenda. The deliverable for the Modern Slavery Act is that each company with a stock market value of more than 36 million pounds must state on their website the steps that they have taken to address slavery within their organization. And this statement has to be signed off by two directors of a company. Now, this statement doesn't necessarily have to you know be a best practice approach to modern slavery it just has to be what to declare what the company's actually doing so i think while as i said it's it's raised awareness it's raised awareness among consumers amongst the private sector i don't necessarily know that it has really done an enormous job to actually start to help those people who are victimized uh, through exploitation and slavery i think that two years on from the legislation being implemented i personally think it's quite disappointing that after the first full year of reporting under the act so many of the companies are still really taking a tick box approach you know, there really is just uh, statements that have shared that we are taking slavery seriously and we're addressing it within our company. And I think as a person who's been working in this space, as a consumer, well, I want to know, well, what exactly are you doing? Have you mapped your risk in terms of where you are perhaps sourcing products from or hiring employees who may be more vulnerable in terms of exploitation? Are you doing the proper due diligence due diligence to check that those products have been made or produced in ways that have not involved exploitation of workers in, in terms of slavery? And, and what sort of degree of visibility and transparency do you have into this process of, of developing these products? So I personally think that NGO pressure will increase. I think that the government pressure may impre uh, increase in the future. Well, so while I think it's been a great starting point and I think it really is leading the way in the fight against modern slavery, I do think that there are perhaps more stringent penalties that may, may need to be introduced for a lot of companies who aren't necessarily taking this seriously. So you mentioned a lot of companies were basically going with the tick box approach saying, you know, yep, I know this, it's being taken care of, trust us, without actually putting in any practices or actions in order to do it. Would you say that as someone buying these products, as someone, you know, purchasing active money transaction, do you think that that would be the missing link to this based on consumption? 
Yeah, I think that I think you're absolutely right. And you know, I thought long and hard about this. And you think about right, the governments are putting the legislation into place. Businesses are responding, but we're still not seeing increase. But we're still not seeing huge numbers in terms of the volume of victims who are being helped. And I believe that to truly tackle slavery, engagement has to be made with one of in, in a more meaningful way with one of the most critical stakeholders who are currently not engaged. And you're absolutely right; it's consumers. I think we as shoppers need to start asking, why are these goods so cheap? Look, and I, I'm with everyone. We all want a bargain. We all want something for cheaper when we're shopping. But given now that we know the extent of this issue, I think we can no longer turn a blind eye when it comes to buying. And we have to stop and ask ourselves, why is this you know, being produced? Why am I buying this for so little money? Because I think we need to make sure that we are not contributing to the problem. And so the way that I'm approaching this as a consumer who is, you know, aware of the issue is, is to really look at three kind of key things. It's to educate myself, to start asking questions and to potentially change my purchasing behavior. There's a great website that I've come across called Know Your Slavery Footprint. And this is at www.slaveryfootprint.org. And this is absolute, this absolutely shocked me. You can basically go in and fill out a, um, work through a sort of exercise online to look at the types of products you buy, the types of things that you have in your life, be it a, a smartphone, particular type of makeup, particular type of electronics equipment, particular type of clothing. And you can get what is known as your slavery footprint. So it's based on the, the products that you're buying, where these products would likely come from. It can essentially tell you how much of your daily life may be fueled by slaves. It ends up being quite a shocking number. So I think as a consumer, the first recommendation is to start to educate yourself. There is an unbelievable wealth of information on this issue available online. There are you know, huge volume of um, NGOs doing really good work in this area, producing reports based on commodities, based on countries, based on industries. So it, it's it's not impo it's impossible to not educate yourself on the subject. The second thing I I think is important is to start asking questions. So, I, and I really kind of reflect back on you know, the sort of animal testing movement, which happened, you know, it's obviously still happening, but this big groundswell of consumers and the public pressure that, you know, forced companies to stop, particularly in the beauty industry, to stop testing their products on animals. I do think, see that this groundswell is growing when it comes to, to modern slavery. So it's about starting to reach out to the brands that you are loyal to, that you love, and trying to get a better sense of what their approach is to addressing modern slavery. If you're in the UK, you can have a look online and you should be able to find right on the homepage of that company, a link to their modern slavery statement. And it should be very clear when you read that statement, whether or not it's been kind of jumbled together, or actually if this company is taking it seriously. And I want, you know, there's a there's a number of, of companies that are doing good work in this area. And there are a number of companies who, as, as you said, Seth, it's just a tick box exercise. And then as I think really finally, the last piece of the puzzle is to change your purchasing behavior. So the only way we're gonna really harness this groundswell is to, to look at um, 
what you're buying as an individual, if you're buying from companies or products where you, you know, it, it's very unclear as to what the origin of that product was, whether or not it has been produced by slaves. I think it's important to take a, a step back and look at and see, is this something that you would still kind of need in your life? And I like the term a boycott and not a boycott. I like the term boycott, which means if you know a company is doing really good work, buy more from that company and encourage that good behavior as opposed to, you know, pulling out of, of necessarily buying from a particular industry. So for example, a lot of people talk about boycotting prawns from Thailand because the industry has been so tainted with reports and investigations around modern slavery. But you can track down through various companies, which of those companies are doing really good work to make sure that the workers are taken care of and and not exploited. And so I would say kind of end that end that point with saying find the companies that you love that are doing good work and and you know put your money in, into that organization. So what you're saying is it really comes down to just being an educated consumer. Know what you're buying. Know where it comes from, how it's made, uh, what who's contributing to what. It comes down to doing research. Thank you Robin. It's been fantastic talking to you. Very very insightful. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Seth, so much. And um, definitely use Slavery Footprint to check out your individual Slavery Footprint at www.slaveryfootprint.org. Perfect. You've been listening to the Intertech Podcast. For supporting references, documents, or links, please check the description. For more information on our management system certification or supply chain solution services, please visit us at intertech.com business assurance. Thank you for listening and make sure to stay tuned for the next episode.